So this morning, you going to keep preaching? I got a little preaching. That's all right. That's all right. Who raised that kid? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, this morning, we're going to continue our series, Reach. And we've been discussing our strategy for impacting the lives of those in need. Right? Reaching out to our, our people in our church, in our community, our nation, in our world. And, and how do we, how do we um, impact the lives of people around the world who are going through challenging times in their lives? And then really the goal of all of that. I mean, this is very important for us to understand. The goal of what we're trying to do is we meet people's felt needs to earn the right to be heard so we can meet their spiritual needs. Because ultimately, we're talking about here this morning of amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Everyone needs that salvation. Everyone needs that salvation. But God calls us to meet the needs of those who, who, are, who are hurting who, or are abandoned, who can't defend themselves. And, and in our ability as really Americans here this morning, um, in our ability to be able to meet some of those needs, we then earn the right to speak into people's lives and maybe, maybe, just maybe lead them to uh, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But things stand in our way. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says this, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This phrase, God of this age or, or God of this world, tells us that Satan has major influence on the opinions and the goals of the people of this world. He has major, major influence. He influences the world's philosophies. The world's education system, if you will, commerce. He has major influence over this world, which, which doesn't allow us to move forward the way we want to move forward. But we need to remember, as Jen was even saying, that we have the power to overcome. We are God's children, and we need to keep moving forward. Because most of the world's ideas, if you will, are, or the, the, the world religions find their origin in the lies and deceptions of Satan. And so Satan has this major influence over so much of what we see, of what we hear in this world. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, it says this, the prince, he's called the prince of the power of the air. And then in John chapter 12 and verse 31, he's called the ruler, if you will, of this world. And these titles and other titles remind us of Satan's capabilities. We don't want to be ignorant of Satan's capabilities, of what he's doing all around us. Things just don't happen. This world is influenced by him, influenced by Satan. To say, for example, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air is to basically signify that he has some rule, if you will, over this world and the people of this world. You wonder how people can be so, pick a word, or how we could allow, how we think about this. How is it that in the 21st century that adults allow the kind of child trafficking that goes on? This could be wiped out. This could be completely wiped out. It's not. Why? 
Why is it not wiped out? Why is something that every normal human being, adult, would agree is horrendous and hideous, why does it permeate the world? Because there's one who influences the world and continues these patterns. But he's limited by, he's limited in power by God's sovereignty and can be defeated, okay, by the people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. We can go on the offensive. We can win the day. God has given us that power. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, than he that influences the world. We know these scriptures. We know them to be true. But here's the thing. We need a strategy. We need a clear strategy in order to overcome the enemy. Throughout history, throughout history, one thing is proven true. If you're going to attack, and that's one thing we have to get in our mind. I think Christians sometimes are constantly on the defensive. We are on the, you know, we have defensive. But if you look at the armor of God, the armor of God is offensive. It's not just defensive. It's offensive. If we're going to attack and defeat a powerful enemy, you need, okay, you need a radical strategy. You need a radical strategy. Look throughout history, not just biblical history, but throughout history. In World War I, okay, you had these U-boats. The Germans had these U-boats, and they were disrupting British and American and, and, and French supplies. They would go around, and they, you know, they would just they would sink so many ships. And if you think about it, a single uh, a single U-boat could could create so much damage. During World War One, they sank over five thousand ships, over five thousand ships, most of whom were trying to get supplies, okay, to the French or the British or really the French and the British. The, the supplies were coming. And, and, and really, they didn't know what to do. These were basically glorified tin cans. These weren't like sophisticated um, submarines like we have today. But the problem was the, the, the French and the British and the Americans, they had nothing. They didn't have submarines and they had no real, no real, real uh, countermeasures. So they, they had to come up with some really unique and creative strategies in order to stop these U-boats. No one came up with a more crazy, if you will, strategy than the British. The British, what they did was they used bags and hammers. All right? Bags and hammers. So now you're in a war, World War I, a vicious war. They had these submarines, and how are you going to stop the submarines? The British came up with the bags and hammers. What they would do is they would take a, they got blacksmiths, and they put them on uh, small boats, and they put gunners there and they go out in the middle of the night, in the dark of night, and they go around looking for periscopes. And when they found a periscope that was sticking up, they would go over there and either tie a bag around the periscope, right, so he couldn't see, or they take their hammers, blacksmiths would take their hammers, and they would bash the periscope in so they couldn't see. So the German captain had to surface. This is a pretty radical strategy, right? We don't have submarines. Let's take a blacksmith and some gunners, put them out there at night with a, with a light and try to figure out where these are. When we find them, we'll put a bag over them or we'll bang them with our hammers and give them. And this strategy actually worked. It worked extremely well. There were over 16 U-boats that were hammered. They hammered the U-boats saving thousands of lives and getting the, a lot of the supplies through. See, to hammer the enemy, you need a creative and persistent strategy. 
If you're going to hammer your enemy, if you're going to beat your enemy into submission, you need a, a creative kind of out of the box. And, and don't miss this persistent strategy. People lose. Satan wins because he outlasts us sometimes. Because we think, oh, that didn't work. It's not going to work. You know, you, get, you go to a different country and you start working with people and they rip you off. And you're like, I've had that's ridiculous. I put so much heart into this now. And you walk away and you quit. If that were the case in Africa, I'd have walked away in 2004. Honestly. Because when you're dealing with people, you're going to find people who are going to try to rip you off and do all kinds of things. But if, you, if you're persistent, I mean, you, I think we underestimate the power of relentlessness. You can be successful, even if you're not too bright, if you're really relentless, okay, and persistent. You just keep moving forward. You keep trusting in God. You keep learning from your mistakes. But we need that creativity and that persistence. Throughout biblical history, God has called his people to use unique battle plans. And if we're going to be successful in what we're trying to accomplish today, we need to know our history. Like I said, throughout history, God calls his people to to use unique battle plans. And if you don't remember your history, right, you're failed to repeat it. If you do remember your history, you can learn from it. You can learn from those strategies and what God has taught us in the past to rely and to change our future. And there are two words that I want you to keep in your mind this morning as we go through this. Okay? One is radical and the other is faith. Radical faith. We need to have a radical faith. We need to be determined. We need to keep moving forward. Radical faith. Let me give you some examples of radical faith in the Bible. And the first one I mentioned last week, and it comes from the book of Joshua. So the first example comes from the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through chapter 6, verse 5, it says this. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, right, the battle of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's armies replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Listen, this is important. See... I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. All right, so I've done this already. I've I've taken care of this. And he says, march around the city once with all of the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up. Every man straight in. Little radical battle strategy there. So as we study this passage, okay, I I want us to, I want us to, to, to look at three rules that we can apply to our strategy as a church. 
Three rules that God gives us here that we can apply to our own strategy. Number one, this is in verse 5, verse 14. It says, it basically says, the Lord gives the orders. Okay? First, God gives the orders. Second, the battle is already won. We've got to keep that in mind. God gives the orders, the battle's already won, and obedience is the key to victory. That's basically the rules laid out, the system laid out in that battle, right? The Lord gives the orders. Here's what I want you to do. The battle I already delivered. They're already delivered into your hands. Just a fact waiting to happen. Now the only response is obedience. Are we going to be obedient to what God has called us to do? Are we going to be obedient when God commands us to go? And God does command us all throughout Scripture. Genesis to Revelation, God commands us to take care of those in need. To share His love with everyone around us. So... God gives the orders, the battle's already won, and obedience is the key to victory. Oh, and did I mention that basically the battle plan was radical, right? And it took faith to pull it off. Radical faith. That battle plan is unorthodox. That battle plan is radical. That battle plan is not what you'd come up with if you were a human being. Radical faith. Our next example comes from the book of Judges, chapters 6 and 7, and Gideon's battle with the Midianites, okay? And if you, if you take the time to read through chapter 7, verses 1 through 22, you see basically Gideon is called by God, okay? God calls him and tells him that he's going to deliver the Midianites into his hands. Israel's crying out because the Midianite armies come down. Israel plants all their crops, and then these armies come down. It says, like, like just waves of locusts. There are so many of them, it's like you can't count the, the sands on your seashore. That's how many people there were. And so Gideon has to deal with this massive army. So basically, God gives the orders, and then God says the, the victory is already won. I've already established that. The battle's already won. And now Gideon has to be obedient. If, if Gideon is obedient, then he will see victory. And so just to make sure that God understands what he's talking about here, I give the orders, the battle's already won, and obedience is the key to victory. He's got this massive army, Midianite army in front of him, and Gideon only has like 30,000 men. And so God says, well, you got too many, okay? I don't want Israel bragging about how they defeated the Midianites. So everybody who's afraid, you go home. And then he says, you go down to the river. Anybody who laughs like a dog, you keep them. And so he ends up with 300 men defeating an army that the Bible says is almost too numerous to count. God gives the orders, victory, okay, the battle's already won, and obedience is the key to victory. Victory for God's people comes through a radical vision, a radical strategy and faith. Gideon was a little bit, oh, if you read that story, he's overwhelmed. That's why he keeps laying the fleeces out. He says, hey, you picked the wrong guy. I'm the least in my family and the least in my clan. And, but God says, you know, it's not about you. It's about me. I've commanded you. Just like he says to us, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And who's our neighbor? Remember what Jesus said? Who's our neighbor? The Good Samaritan. Who's our neighbor? Anyone who's in need. Anyone who, is, who finds themselves defenseless. 
That's who God commands us to to interact with and to take care of. Need more examples? I want you to think of this. You talk about radical strategies, okay? We talked about David and Goliath last week. How about Caleb taking on an overwhelming army at 85 years old? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, he's going to go up against these giants in this hill country. You know how difficult it is to take a hill or a mountain to start with? These are giants that live up there. And then Caleb is going to take on the giant, 85 years old. How about Joshua? How about, how about Joseph's rise to power in the book of Genesis? Think about that. Think about how Joseph and his rise to power, all that he went through and how he got there. A little bit unorthodox, a little bit radical. How about Moses' rise to leadership in the book of Exodus? How about Daniel's rise to power, right? And then subsequently surviving the lion's den. They throw him in a lion's den. And he survives that. It, you, you want even more proof? Study the, study the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about this. Think about this. Absolutely brilliant. The king of the universe becomes a man. Born in a stable. Born in a stable. Takes on the very nature of a servant. Dies. Okay, is crucified. Dies and is resurrected. Is brought back to life. Okay, brought back to life to save us from our sin. Jesus dies. Jesus dies to defeat the enemy so that we can have eternal life. His death brings us life. See, the enemy never saw it coming. Most people, most people never saw it coming. His victory, his victory over death and sin is radical. Listen to me. His victory over death and sin is a radical strategy. And we are called to respond by faith, radical faith. That is our battle strategy. See, I want now to kind of turn our attention back to our challenge, what God is challenging us to do. It comes in James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. When he talks about widows and orphans, you know, I did not understand truly what that meant until I, until I visited other countries. Especially orphans I kind of had down a little bit, just thinking about what they went through, but not until I actually experienced. I would just, in my last trip to Nigeria, and these kids are well taken care of, but they go to school, these kids go to school early in the morning, and what they get is a little biscuit and water for breakfast. That's all they can afford. That's all the home can afford. A little biscuit and some, and some water for breakfast. Then the kids get home, they, they go all day long without, they can't afford snacks, so the kids go to school. Every, all the other kids in school get snacks because their parents give them snacks. But our kids don't get snacks because they can't afford to have the snacks. And then they get home and they eat about 4 o'clock. So the next time they eat is 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I don't know any kids that, around here that, number one, don't really get breakfast except for a little biscuit and then have to wait till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. See, that's what we're talking about when he says take care of orphans and widows in their distress. Take care of them. Invest in them. Why? You know why? Because they're defenseless. In our country, there are safety nets. In these other countries, there are no safety nets. They are defenseless. Widows are defenseless in other countries. They have no rights in many other countries. They have no rights at all. Their children, if the husband died, the children can be taken away from the mom by the husband's parents. 
and leave her completely destitute without her children and without a place to live and kick her out of the house because she doesn't own that house. Now the parents own the house and the parents want to take the kids. These, my point is these widows and these orphans are completely defenseless. And that is the challenge that God calls us to, to look after these orphans and widows in their distress. And it's, you can't say it's not my thing. It's everyone's thing. It may not be what God has called you to do with all of your life, but I'll tell you, the principle is to take care of those who cannot take care of themselves, who cannot defend themselves. It's like you sitting in the classroom if you're a high school or junior high student and seeing that one kid sitting at that lunch table by himself and someone is torturing them or teasing them or bullying them. Someone needs to defend that person. They fall into the category, the same category we're talking about here, defenseless. If there's four or five other people picking on someone who can't defend themselves, then we are called by God to defend them. So the question is, how are we going to win this battle? How are we going to win this war? And make no mistake, it's a war. There are over 153 million orphans in the world today. There are estimated 21 million people trapped in modern day slavery. 14.2 million of them are exploited for labor. 4.5 million of them are exploited sexually. And 2.2 million were exploited in state-imposed forced labor camps, if you will. See, my friends, (laughs) the key to victory, honestly, the key to victory, is not throwing just money at a problem, right? It's not throwing money at a problem. It's sustainability. It's creating one 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 of the keys to achieving victory in this area is creating sustainability. Giving some, listen, giving someone shoes, I'm going to say is good, but I can even argue that it's not good that we send clothes and all that kind of stuff and resources over to other countries because sometimes we ruin the economy of those countries when we're pouring all of our leftover stuff into the country and people get it and they sell it and then people are making the shoes and the clothes they can't sell anymore so then sustainability is gone and all you get is stuff coming over. So, but I'm not going to pick on the fact that I love Tom's shoes and if you buy a pair of shoes he gets, that's, we'll say it's good, okay? We'll say that it's good, but creating capital, creating capital to invest in a shoe business that provides long-term income and jobs is sustainability. Let me share a story with you. When I was over in Nigeria, this young man named Jeffrey, he's a teenager, his name is Jeffrey. Here's Jeffrey here in the middle. Jeffrey makes shoes. He, he produces his own shoes. He's a craftsman. So this kid makes shoes. And he, look, at, look at these shoes. There's only a couple of pictures. Some of the other ones I saw were just, these are like sandals and things, but he was making incredible shoes. Incredible shoes. So what we need to do, the battle strategy here doesn't say, oh, let's just feed Jeffrey and hope he all, it turns out well. No, let's get some capital and get, I, I told Jeffrey, put a business plan together, a simple business plan. And I need your simple business plan. I will take it back. I will get your business plan. We will sit down. We as a church will sit down, see what Jeffrey needs and give Jeffrey the resources, okay, the capital to start his own business so he can hire the two kids next to him to make, to make more shoes. That's sustainability, okay? That's ongoing revenue for him and his life and for his family and for the people around him. Giving food is kind. It's a kind thing to do. It is. I'm not arguing that. Giving people food who are hungry is kind. But giving them land and the tools to work that land is sustainability, 
That's what we want to do. We have 60 acres of land in Nigeria, and what we're trying to do is create a sustainable sustainable income for those folks. See, most people are not looking, most people in where, where we work around the world are not looking for a handout. They're just looking for a hand up. They're looking for an opportunity. And in order to win this battle, my friends, in order to win this battle, we need to understand something. We need to understand our enemy and how the enemy works. How does our enemy work? So I want to take a few minutes and I want to look at our enemy, Satan, and how he works. We need to understand that the prince of this world is here, is going to be here to stay for a while, okay? And that we are in a constant spiritual battle. If we misunderstand this, we're not going to be successful. We are in a constant spiritual battle. This isn't just about flesh and blood. Listen to, listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. It reminds us, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Okay, so we're, we're the victors here. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil schemes, okay? The devil schemes. He schemes and figures out how to keep kids in trafficking, okay? How to keep kids traffic how to how to subdue people how to how to how to make people in the world not really care and just think oh this is too overwhelming why should we even think about it he's got schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms our enemy no here's the thing we have to learn, if you want to beat someone, if you want to, if you want to win a battle, you need to understand your enemy. Here's the problem. Our, ender, our enemy understands us perfectly. And he, and, and he understands our sinful nature. And he is constantly and subtly working within that sinful nature in many different ways. Let me share some of his tactics, okay? Number one, misinformation. Misinformation. Here's one of the things I hear, okay? It, here, here's the problem with what you're doing. This is what I'm told by people. Here's the problem with what you're doing. If you keep feeding those people and everything else, they're just going to have more kids, which I find offensive to even say, but that's what they say. If you, if you keep feeding these folks and educate, they're just going to have more children. Well, let me tell you something. That is completely false and without any foundation in truth whatsoever at all. Every significant study in the world says the opposite. If you look at European countries, for example, in some countries there's more people dying than having children than are being born. Because the reality is the more you educate women, especially if you educate women, the, the longer it takes them to have babies. So they're, they're having babies later in life and having less children. So even this ridiculous idea that if you help people, if you do what we're doing, they're just going to have more babies and, and, and create more problems. That's completely untrue. And it's, I don't even want to use the words I'm going to use to say what I think of, you know, there's nothing wrong with having kids, okay? The thing is, you need to be, you need to help people create a sustainable life so they can take care of their kids instead of saying, well, don't help them so they don't have more kids. Because the reality is, when you educate people, they have less children, not more children. Another false piece of propaganda is that the only reason they're in this situation is because they're lazy, they're in a situation because they're lazy. And see, that makes us, you know, again, that's without, without any foundation. And, and it's not a matter of people being lazy. It's a matter of, in many people's cases, I'm talking around the world, it's a matter of opportunity. It's a matter of creating opportunity for those folks. 
Now, I realize, understand, I realize, and we've talked about this before, that there are lazy people in every single culture, okay? But when I hear people say that, it's just an excuse for them to do nothing and to ease their own consciences. That's what it is. It's easy to throw something out there. Oh, they're just lazy. Why should I waste my money on those lazy people? It just eases their own conscience and makes them, honestly, you're, that person's a lazy person because they don't want to step up and do what's necessary to take care of people in need. But I realize that there are people in the world who are lazy. The, the proverb, book of Proverbs calls them sluggards, right? Lazy people are sluggards. Here, let me give you a quick study here. In the Bible, there are poor people and there are sluggards, Okay. Poor people, given the opportunity, will change their circumstances. They're going to change their circumstances. Sluggards, no matter what you do, the Bible says, you know, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty, poverty comes on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. That's what it says in Proverbs. And the Bible says, don't give anything to sluggards, just give them advice. Stop being a sluggard. But if you give to a poor person, they change their circumstances. I understand all that. I understand that there are people who are lazy in the world, but you know what? When people say that kind of thing, it's just an excuse for them to do nothing and to ease their own conscience. I was with a group of uh, Nigerian boys, and we asked them, what, what can self-sustaining enterprises, what would you want? If you could have something from SSE, what would you want? The first thing they said, okay, was jobs. They want jobs. And the second thing they wanted was education. So they want jobs and education. They're not asking. No one said, oh, if you could just give us money and you could do this. And they said, we need jobs and we need education. I want to, I want to put up the pictures of the widows here. We talked about this last week, okay? Pictures of the widows. These women are between 50 and 80 years old. And they're working in the fields, right? Um, they don't look too lazy. Look at that. She don't, they don't look too lazy to me. These are, these are helpless folks. They don't look too lazy to me. As a matter of fact, two days after I took these pictures, the acha, it's called acha, the crop was coming in. It was ready to harvest. Without even being asked, they got together and the village came back out and started taking in that harvest of that field without even being asked. 50 to 80 years old. They're out there strapped with babies on there. It's not their babies. It's their daughter's baby. But she has to go and do something else. So grandma, at 75 years old, is out in the field cutting down Acha with a little sickle with a baby tied to her back. I'm sorry, I just don't buy that they're lazy. It's not laziness. Third, the use of very subtle brainwashing techniques. Satan uses these very subtle brainwashing techniques on us. We are constantly being told that we don't have enough. We don't have enough. And then when that's told to us over and over, you just, if you just had a little more, if you just had a little more, if you just had a little more, and then we get ourselves into debt and we are, we're stretched, even though we're making an ornament amount of money, we're still stretched financially. We don't know what we're going to do because we begin to confuse need with want. In our culture, we confuse need with want. And in the process, we create this, Satan in us creates this unquenchable desire to consume. 
We have to consume more and more and more. We always need more stuff, right? Last year, two years, your car is two years old. It's out of, it's, it, your, your phone is too old. Your car is too old. If you get clothes from last year, they're out of style. They're out of style. It's always too, you know, and so this unquenchable thirst to have more and new, more, bigger, everything is better. And he just feeds us and feeds us and feeds us. We see pictures of suffering and dying children. Honestly, you, you go online and put, and put up starving children, and I don't think you could probably take it. But I know, I, I've talked to people, it tugs at their heartstrings, but honestly, it doesn't tug at their purse strings. They got something else they need to do. And I got to be honest with you, I, I don't know how God's going to handle it, but when Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me, um, we're going to stand before God, all of us, as a church, as a bo- the body of Christ, we're going to have to stand before God and give account for how we handled ourselves. To win this war is going to take the entire body of Jesus Christ working together. Every gift, every talent, every ability, every, 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 every experience executed with surgical and fearless passion. We are going to have to think this all the way through. Here's the exciting part. When I brought this up 10, 12, 15 years ago, it was a dream that we could accomplish, that we could create sustainability, that we could actually build what we're building through self-sustaining enterprises and build our economic zone in Nigeria. And, and we thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if? It's no longer an if thing. SSC is profitable. And the only question is, how profitable can it be? That's the only question now. How much money can we produce to impact these people's lives? In Nigeria, we have the economic zone. The chicken farm is already profitable. It's already profitable. How can we expand it so it becomes even more profitable so we can hire even more people? We're not taking any money back here to America. The idea is to create enough income that we can impact the lives of the people within that village, wipe out that pocket of poverty, and then the money we have left over, we can invest in back-to-back ministries, and they can invest in education, health care, and the things that we do over there to focus on ministry. But these are things already happening, my friends. We've built the foundation. Now we're just building the building on top of the foundation. In this battle, there is no room for fear. There is absolutely no place for intimidation. And failure is not an option. No sacrifice of ours is too great because no life is without purpose. No not one life that I've seen in this world is without purpose. God has created every single person in this room, every single person around the world with a specific purpose, and he calls them to fulfill that purpose. And we try, sometimes we try to get these naysayers out there, and they'll discourage you by saying, oh, what you're trying, it's just too hard. I mean, it takes too much energy and effort. It's, I don't, I'm not sure you can pull something like, 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 like this off. And, and honestly, then they'll say things like, and I've had people say this, what makes you think that you're capable of doing something that large and dynamic? I mean, I've had people literally say that to me. What makes you think that you can? Or that love this is my favorite. It's impossible. It's just impossible. Well, you know what radical faith says? Impossibilities are just opportunities for our capacities to be stretched. Give me impossible. Give me impossible. I I think somewhere in the Bible, doesn't it say all things are possible with God? Right? 
All things are possible with God. If God gives me marching orders, it's not for me to say what's impossible or what's, what's impossible or possible. I, he says jump, and what do we say? Exactly. Okay? He says jump, I say how high. See, a radical faith says impossibilities are just opportunities. It's just an opportunity for my capacity to be stretched. Everything, listen to me, every great thing you will ever do, every dynamic and exciting journey that you will ever go on, you will hear from these peanut gallery people who will tell you what you can and you cannot do. You start a journey. This is why I get so frustrated with adults sometimes when, when junior high and high school students have an idea, they want to try something. Oh, and you try to explain the world to them and how it's not going to work. Every great thing you'll ever attempt to do, you're going to have these naysayers around you who will tell you what you can and you cannot do. Here's the reality. Here's the reality that we have to face. Most things don't change in this world because most Christians don't have the will or the courage to change them. There's the reality. Most things don't change because we, as the body of Christ, don't have the will and sometimes the courage to actually change them. We need to start living the life that we were designed and called to live. And we need to start using the gifts and the talents and abilities that God has designed us to use. You see, the problem is not, here's, here's, and this is sad for me, the problem is that not everyone here is truly living. Not everyone who's hearing my voice, who will hear it online or whatever. Not everyone is truly living. What we don't understand is that dying is inevitable. But living, truly living, is optional. So many people in this world are just existing. They're not truly living. If we are going to defeat this enemy... If we are going to restore and, and rescue those who are in need, if we're going to defend the defenseless, then we need to start living. We need to put the full armor of God on. We need to march forward and we need to start living. For us to fulfill this call of God on our lives is going to take every bit of energy that we have. We need to, all of us, every single one of us needs to live out, truly live out our purpose, the purpose for which we were created. And listen to me, with Christ as our head of the body, with Christ as the head, and with God's people, the body of Christ, living out their purpose, our victory is secured. What did I say? What did God say, right? God is the one who gives the orders. The victory, the battle, is already won. Obedience is the key to victory. When you read something in the Bible, God calls you to do something, you need to be obedient to what he's called you to do. And if we're obedient to what he's called us to do, the battle is already won. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We are joint heirs of Jesus Christ. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We need to go on the offensive. We need to take this strategy and we need to continue to drive it forward. We need, it really, it just takes a radical faith. It just takes a radical faith. I want to give you some, we, we need to, seriously, well, here's bottom line, some of the things we need to do. We need to give. 
I mean, you know, oh, here he comes, a big pitch. Yeah, you're darn right. Here comes the big pitch. And I'm going to tell you what this big pitch is for. Okay? It had nothing to do with where we're spending money here. We need, here's, here's, here's what we need to do as the people of God. We need to take our resources and invest it in the lives of people who are in need. We need to double the size of our chicken farm in Nigeria. It's already profitable. We need to double the size of it so it becomes even more profitable. Our land, some of our land, it, you can't use it for, for farming. There's about 10 or 15 acres that is not usable. It's too hard and it's not good soil. We need about $5,000 worth of manure to tear up that soil, to get a, 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 a plow in there, to furl all that up and to replant it with about five grand. It's $25, it's $25 per truckload. We need a bunch of truckloads and we need to refertilize that soil so that next year when we plant that crop or we do dry season farming we'll have crops coming up all the time and those widows will have even more work they'll be able to, to gain even more resources so we need to find and we, we need to fund honestly we need to fund the business of ideas our kids that are in the whole program I, when I was down there all I talked to them was about business I said, you guys got to start businesses. What kind of business would you like to start? What do you think about business? I gave them, I just motivated them and said, because they're talking about, I'm going to be an astronaut sometimes. And and that's fine. That's cool. I hope that one of them becomes an astronaut. Most likely though, most of them will go into business. They need to know when they come up with a legitimate business idea that they're going to be funded, that we're going to have the capital to fund those business ideas. So that that kid, the entrepreneurial kids can hire two or three of their friends. And they'll all have jobs. We need to be able to do that. I, wanna, I think we should sponsor a few widows in the village. We don't have the money to have the widows work all the time, but if we could sponsor one or two or three widows at $75 a month, if someone would sponsor that, not just a child, sponsor that family, then she goes to work, okay? She gets subsidized by us for the first year or so until the farm gets even more profitable, and then the farm will pay for her. But if we can get in her in her in there now, she can help that farm become more profitable. So we need money for that. We need to pay for a borehole, another borehole there where that borehole, that's a deep water well, can be used for dry season farming only. It's about thirty five hundred bucks. We need that borehole there. And now you know what else we need? We need a storage facility. And I'm not rattling these off because we sat down and came up with a business plan while I was down there. The farm people, the guys on the farm, the leadership there. One of the things we need is a storage facility. Facility. Here's why, and you'll understand this. You guys understand this. Okay, so all the crops come in. Everybody's growing the same thing. They come in, everybody goes to market and sells it. How much money do you think they're making? And when they have it and they bring it there in their carts or whatever, the person, the merchant, can, can basically rip them off because if, if you don't take what he's offering, there's a person right behind you who'll sell it to him for that price who needs the money. If you have a storage facility, it only costs about seven grand. If we have a storage facility, we can take our, our, our grain and we can store it safely, all right? Wait about five months when no one else is growing it. And guess who gets the highest price? We can even buy grain from others at a decent price, hold on to it. It's like we're commodities traders, okay? It's like Nigerian commodities traders, okay? You hold on to it and then you sell it later on. If you can can things, if we could do a small like manufacturing where we're canning types of tomatoes or things and we can have a storage facility, we then can dictate our own price. 
That's what the kind of resources that we need. And, and now, we'll, we can get it over the next year from self-sustaining enterprise over time, but I'd like to do it now. I'd like to get it done now. Start moving those projects forward now, and then we'll take the money from SSE and invest it in other projects that are coming after that. There's my, there's my, there's my call to arms, okay? There's my challenge to every single one of us, I'm included, to give resources to make all these things happen. You can lay out, you can get up here and preach about helping the poor and helping the needy. But I'm not just preaching about helping the poor and helping the needy. We have a very clear and decisive strategy in order to impact people's lives. And we are, our goal is not to end world hunger. If we could, that'd be great. But we are wiping out pockets of poverty, one village at a time. This strategy is working, it will work. And once, it's, once we have a sustainable model there, we can transport that sustainable model anywhere else in the world. Once we are profitable across the board in all areas, we can take that model and we can take it to Haiti, we can take it to India, we can take it to Dominican, we can take it wherever we need to take it because we have a plan, we have a model, and we have a strategy, okay? So this isn't just a, hey, wouldn't it be cool if... This is reality. I want you to go home. I want you to be thinking about what you can sacrifice, what you can sacrifice to make this dream a reality for these folks. This will transform people's lives. This will save children's lives. The widow who's laying there wondering, what am I going to do with these four kids? What am I going to do? Doesn't have to worry about that anymore. Let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer as we close here. God, thank you for this time we can spend together. Thanks for the opportunity to just get in front of these people that I love so much and lay out this strategy that you've given to us so long ago. God, thank you. Thank you for the success that we've seen. Thank you that we are profitable. Thank you, Lord, that you challenged this church and gave us this specific vision as difficult as it was to accomplish. Thank you. Thank you for building the foundation. And now, God, we are going to build on top of that foundation. We're going to succeed in every way possible. And we pray, dear God, that you would rain down your financial blessings on us so that we can impact this world for you. We will use your resources. We will be good stewards of your resources to see lives changed. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We give you all the glory in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week.